Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and I'm, I'm pumped today because I'm talking to Mike from Below Average Blogger. He has been documenting his journey for a little while now and has a few sort of case study sites that he's been providing updates on. And we're going to hear about uh, his story in general, some of the sites that he's working on and kind of focus on one specific site that has gotten pretty good traction. So Mike, thanks for joining me. How are you today? Doing well, Doug. Thanks very much for having me. And we've been trying to connect for a little while and over the holidays is crazy. So I'm glad we were able to get this together. And I, I like to jump you know, straight to the results early on, just so people know why they should be listening to what you're doing. So, and then we'll back into the story, but can you share some of the results of your total portfolio in December and maybe even the last quarter of 2021? And then we'll, like I said, back into this specific site and hear about the details with that one. Sure. So I started blogging just about 18 months ago and my initial blog um, was in a high competition niche and it, it didn't do very well. I had cheap writers because I had this mental focus on just getting content done. And so that got me interested though, because I did make a couple bucks here and there. And ultimately I started another website that did really well along with a few others. And within a year I was, well, actually within about nine months, I went from making nothing to about 1500 to pushing that $2,000 mark a month. And obviously that got me very excited about the whole industry. And I've been trying to just move forward since then. All right. So, and so you're about at the $2,000 per month mark, give or take in December of 2021. Yeah. So I'm, I was about 1800 ish for December, 2021. And the last quarter I've been knocking on that $2,000 mark. I think right at the end of the summer, I was just over 2000, but because of the seasonality, I dipped down a little bit towards these colder months. How many sites do you have total? So I have six total, but I should preface that with saying I put a lot of work into three and then I have three that are kind of just, they're on the back burner. I load them with content and I'm just, I'm not monetizing. I'm just seeing what they do as far as traffic and SEO wise. Okay. Very good. So what did you do before you got into blogging, which you said it was only like 18 months ago. So yeah, what's your Mm -hmm. background? Did you have a digital marketing background or anything? No, I had quite the opposite. So I, I, Joined the army right out of high school. I did 10 years in the army, um, you know, Iraq and deployments and all that good stuff that was part of our generation. And then I went and became a law enforcement officer. I did that for a few years. Then I got picked up by the government as a special agent doing investigations in Washington, D.C. Did that for a few years. And then I got recruited by a defense contractor to work for them. Um, and that was appealing at the time because it gave me the option to, to work remotely. And I hated living in D.C. So I took the remote jobs, went out west and was working remote for a few years when COVID hit and it really disrupted the contracts for the government. It disrupted everything. It was a big problem. And so a lot of us found ourselves just kind of sitting at our desks with filler time every day for remote working. And so that's when I would wind up on channels like yours and listening to podcasts like yours, as well as some other people on YouTube, because I had always thought I'd always done well in my career. And I thought, you know what, if I put this focus into my own thing, how far could I take it? And so with having the time with COVID, I went ahead and pursued it. And I kind of just fell into the blogging thing through, through YouTube and channels like yours and some others. And it's starting to, starting to pan out about a year later. Awesome. Well, there's one thing that you mentioned, like within about nine months, you were making fairly significant money. What, what was that again? Like 1500? About 1500 within nine months. Yeah. 
Okay. And did you have any specific expectations about how long it would take when you first got started? So I only knew what people would say on YouTube, right? Because I hadn't, I hadn't been a part, I didn't know any bloggers. And in fact, I thought blogging was kind of, I I thought it was a joke really. When you hear people making money online with blogging, I thought, well, that's, that's 20, 2005. I didn't think that was real in today's market, but as you know, it is. And so I basically found myself in a position where I was making money quicker than I thought. And had it not been for YouTube and channels like yours, I might've been in a position where I would have quit after three or four months or six months, not realizing that you need that time to mature and rank. And it does eventually come if the content is correct. Got it. And with your first site, how did it go? Did you make any mistakes with that? Yeah, I pretty much made the book in mistakes. So um, I, because I hadn't joined a course and I hadn't really talked with anybody in the business, I was just going off of YouTube. And like you know, YouTube can have some excellent information for free right at your fingertips, but it also has some dated and some scammy information right at your fingertips. So depending on who you're watching, what you're learning from, you can really mess yourself up in the beginning. And so I thought, well, I'll pick a niche I like. I like the outdoors and camping, so I'll do a camping website. Well, in hindsight, that's an extremely competitive niche. Um, A lot of established authority sites are in that niche. And on top of that, I was listening to some other websites that said you need X amount of articles and X amount of months. And so I put this pressure on myself to to buy articles. And I was buying from cheap writers on Fiverr or iWriter. And ultimately, all that did was give me a bunch of content and a niche I liked that was not good and not making any money. Okay. So what, what did you do once you figured that out? That was when I basically kind of pulled back from buying riders because riders that I think are good, you can find them at affordable rates. However, it's going to come at a learning curve, right? So you're going to reach out to a lot of riders. You're going to have a lot of test articles. And ultimately, I finally did find some good riders and I just kind of cornhole or, you know, I, I, I pigeonholed those two good riders that I had and I started feeding them good keyword research and good articles. Um, and over time, that camping site has picked up in traffic and revenue, but it's been a very slow burner. And so I decided when that happened to go ahead and start a couple more sites with a whole fresh start. That's better keyword research. That's lower competition niches. And that was better content. Perfect. And I see this uh, from a lot of people. I mean, that's exactly what I ended up doing too, where you have a couple false starts. Maybe you try to start a few sites at the same time, and then you make the same mistake like five or six times. And then a few months later, you realized, hey, I could do it a different way. So you corrected course, you started a couple other sites. And the one we focused on, or that we will focus on today is doing pretty well. So can you bring us uh, sort of the origin of that site and walk us through choosing the niche, uh, maybe getting some of the content done, keyword research, the whole thing, but I'll, I'll just leave it open and you can tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. So like we said, I had the camping site that was not really going anywhere and I was getting a little frustrated. And so I had bought a certain type of grill and I started Googling things about the grill, like any new owner would of a natural, of a product. And I started realizing there was so many Google suggested questions with no articles answering the question. Forums would pop up and Reddit would pop up, but nothing, no blogs had tackled this grill. And so obviously the light bulb went off and I thought, uh Oh, I have the grill. I 
see the hole and the need for the content. So I'll go ahead and put it together and I'll just see what happens. So I bought the domain. I threw a free theme on there and I, I think I published about 10 articles and I just said, we'll see what happens. And that was in late September, 2020 and December of 2020. So just three months later on Christmas day, I had this huge spike and I was like, you know, when you're a blogger and you don't make any money, that was an exciting day. And I thought, oh my gosh, people are, are Googling this and they're, they're coming to my site. And so that really lit a fire under me. And I just started throwing content and taking every Google suggested question that was not answered and just making an article for it. Um, and then I started doing more in-depth keyword research and within, so I started it late September, 2020, I got my first real traffic basically on Christmas, 2020. And by May of 2021, so just within six to eight months, I was seeing 30,000 visitors and making over a thousand a month. And I was getting really excited because all of a sudden some traction was happening. I have a theory about the Christmas day spike. What, what do you think happened? To I just think traffic. people were gifted the item and they thought, oh, let me learn about it real quick. Or they wanted to cook on Christmas day for friends and family. And they thought maybe they had some questions about it. Okay. Yep. I, I was like, I think people got it as gifts and they were like, oh, how do I do blah? Or what is whatever feature? Yep. So and I had the same cool. spike this Christmas as well. So it, it's definitely a gifted item. How about that? And you know, you mentioned you got a specific kind of product. Is there, is it like very narrow of a niche or like, can you expand out? I'm curious how you branded that. Cause oftentimes, you know, I, I encourage people don't, don't go too narrow, give yourself room to expand. So how did you do that? Yeah. And that's actually a mistake I've made a couple of times is going too narrow. Um, but, uh, this was a type of grill. So, you know, you've got charcoal grills, gas grills, you've got the big green eggs, you've got Traegers, you've got Blackstone griddles, you've got all these subsets of outdoor cooking. And I just happened to buy one of those. And it's a relatively newer one. It didn't have a lot of competition. No one had tackled it. And so I just, I think I, a little bit of luck with a little bit of um, good timing just worked out well. Very cool. And what's your go-to thing you're trying to grill or cook like nowadays? I like to, I like to cook. So. Yeah. So I'm big on, uh, steak in general. I'm, I'm a big steak guy. Um, so ribeyes, a boneless ribeye, any way I can find to make that even better is always on my radar. Okay. One thing that I've been doing is like salting for 24 to 36 hours or so and sort of dry aging in the fridge really dries out the outside. And then you can get like such a, and I'm, I'm basically like frying the steaks in, in, um, cast iron. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing something different with the grill, but yeah, just having it like so dry and the dry age, like it's, it's been working out well. I've not done the dry age. I've read about it many times, but it's something, it's something I should definitely try this summer when it gets warmer. I'm going to, when I spend more time outside grilling actually. Yeah. So we, we could do a whole other show on that. So I'll, we'll move on here. Now, one thing you mentioned with the keyword research and when you were starting the site was you would see like forums or Reddit. So why, why did you think that you'd be able to outrank those? What, what do you think when you see those kind of results in the SERPs? So I think from my untrained perspective, I wouldn't have thought anything of that. I would have thought, Hey, I Googled something. There's an answer on Reddit. There's an answer on a forum. It's done. But I had heard through 
several videos that generally when there is a forum post or a community type post answering a question, Google will tend to rank a blog or a website over that. And I didn't have any experience in it, but I thought, you know what, that's a great opportunity to test this theory. And it actually turned out to be true for me. Okay. And my, my theory is, well, I'll just think about something that I've Googled before and you hop over to Reddit and then you see like a long thread of like a argument happening and it's really hard to get the information out of there if people are debating. So I think even if the maybe title is optimized because the person asked the specific question, a lot of people will opt for something that is summarized, maybe one opinion in there instead of like 30. So I think it works because of that. And just over time, people will gravitate towards something that was intentionally written to answer the question in a, in a faster way. So, That's a really good point that I, and with articles, I see this a lot, people writing informational content, but never really answering the question. And that, I think that's a huge key factor is giving that blurb that answers the question, but then expanding and then maybe putting a teaser in your blurb that says, hey, here's the answer you're looking for, but read more below to learn why it's important and maybe getting that click or if you have the snippet. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect example. So um, with keyword research, what other sort of ideas or techniques did you use? Uh, Maybe you could even contrast like early on what you were doing to what you're doing now. Sure. So with the camping site, um, because I had no keyword research strategy, what I did, and I didn't know where to start. So I went to SEM rush and it was like, oh my God, a hundred dollars a month. I can't afford that. That's crazy. And so I went to fiverr.com and paid somebody, um, I don't know, five or 10 bucks to do keyword research for me. And what I got was a spreadsheet back with 500 keywords, um, best of top 10 and just things I would never rank for. But not knowing and not having any experience, I was like, okay, I got to write the best lantern for camping and I got to write the best backpack for camping. And ultimately those articles went nowhere. And that's when I started realizing that in 2020, 2021, there was a lot of power in just informational content and steering away as a new website from the best of and top 10. Got it. And let's see, I'm trying to think of Actually, someone someone just emailed me today and they generally weren't following anyone's method to build a site or anything. And they were typically going after keywords and topics that had 500 searches per month or more. So generally more competitive. What kind of keyword search volume do you look for? What's the sweet spot? Do, do you even consider that? Yeah, so that's actually... One of my favorite things, I love zero search volume estimation keywords because people stay away from them, just like you said in that email. And I get comments all the time that'll say, why are you writing articles for zero search estimation? Well, because I have several that are getting over a thousand page views a month and there's zero search estimations. So I ignore search estimations and I look at results in the SERPs. I look at who's answering the question and that's what I go for. Okay. And would you... So you you ignore the estimation just in general. So you just look at the I mean, SERPs. I I should say when I ignore it, if it says zero, I don't put a lot of weight into that okay. because if I find a keyword that's not touched and it's got five hundred or a thousand search estimation, well, absolutely, I'm going to write that. But if it shows zero and there's also no results, I'm still going to write it because there's a hole. There's a reason why Google wants it answered and people are searching it. 
Perfect. And how many articles are on your site currently? So on the grilling website, uh, I have about a hundred, I'm going off the top of my head, about 130 right now. Okay. And how big do you think it can be? Do you have any specific goals or a set of keywords where you're like, Hey, I really want to get through these. I don't, I I'm kind of learning as I go, as far as websites go and how much content you need. And it comes down to a lot of things, you know, as far as how much interest there is in the topic overall, how far, how far down I narrowed my niche. And in this case, I narrowed it down fairly far because that's a certain type of grill. Um, but I've found that other grill types share certain similarities or they people search for comparing them to other grill types. And I'll kind of break those things down as well. So I am fairly small in my niche, but I'm finding ways to still scale it. And do you see competitors out there that are much bigger and more established and you could kind of envision getting your site to that point? Or are you pretty much the only you know, the only one writing about this. So I see competitors that are writing about outdoor cooking, right? So they're talking about all types of grills and all types of smokers and all types of griddles. They're not focused on one, not necessarily brand, but one type. And I wouldn't be able to scale to their size just because they cover so many different types of grills. But when, when it comes to the type of grill I'm blogging about, no one else had previously done it. I'm all of a sudden starting to see some copycats show up and some similar articles pop up and some little competition in the SERPs here and there. But I'm able to work quite a bit with what I've got right now, even in the small niche. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Niche Website Builders. And I'm pumped to bring these guys back onto the team here. So Adam Smith and Mark Mars have been on the show a few times. They're great guys. And they've put together a fantastic agency. In fact, it ties together really well with some of the services and business ideas that I've talked about. Because Niche Website Builders can write content for you. They can do FAQ content. They could do affiliate content. They actually will build a done-for-you site as well. One of their most popular offerings is the Shotgun Skyscraper campaign. They ran that for me for several months on what was a brand new site. They landed about 100 links or so. I can't remember off the top of my head. And it went from a zero domain rating all the way up to, I think it's... uh, 49. It's creeped up a little bit higher, but fantastic campaign and they absolutely crushed it for me. If you follow my link, you can get some great coupon codes. I believe it's 10% off or if you order content, you get an additional 10% of content. So definitely check it out. Uh, As an affiliate, I would get a commission, which I greatly appreciate. And like I said, I'm pumped to be working with niche website builders again. And a little sneak peek, we're going to be working on kind of a cool uh, project together. So more to come on that. I'm just going to leave it as a teaser and I won't mention too much else, but certainly uh, pay attention in the next few months. We will be tracking it along the way. And thanks a lot to Niche Website Builders. Let's get back to the show. (music) 
So when you have, you know, a keyword idea, and it sounds like some of these are heavily question-based where you, you do need to sort of answer quickly, how do you gauge how long to make an article? So as a general rule, I go a thousand words to a thousand to to thirteen hundred ish words. That's kind of my sweet spot. I found that works for me. Now I should preface that with saying I was writing those with no competition. Now I'm seeing some competition pop up, and I'm noticing a little fluctuations in SERPs, and I'm starting to think there's certain areas I could beef content up. However, when you type talk about informational content, it's a fine line between filling an article with fluff and answering a question in an actual authentic way. And so I kind of find myself balancing that all the time. So I guess the answer to your question is I stick between a thousand to 1300 words, not necessarily as a rule. That's just where I end up. I always want to beat a thousand words. Um, but sometimes when someone says, you know, how much propane do I need for a grill? I can only, I can only tackle that in so many words, you know? Yeah. And, and that that's the tough part. And there was a, there was a time maybe right around the tail end that you were starting in, in blogging where we just kept writing articles longer and longer and longer. And I think eventually we hit a point where it, this length of content is not helpful. It's much better to tighten it up and make it shorter. And I think, you know, people on their phones, if they hit a result and they see it's, you know, 10 pages long, they may not want to go through all of that and they'll look for a, sh- yeah. a shorter answer. So, okay. So around a thousand words, but shorter if, if needed. Um, what's the shortest that you think you have out there? So my shortest article, and it actually still does well, is about 800 words. Um, and it's a simple question about whether or not this grill is made in the U S I mean, people search that all the time and I answer it. I threw some subheadings about why people care about products made in the U S why it matters in the economy. But ultimately here's the answer from this manufacturer where they make their grills. And, and that was it. It was about 800 words, but it still gets a lot of traction. You have a lot of informational content, a lot of questions you're answering. What percentage are product reviews versus the informational content? Sure. So I stick to a, it's starting to evolve more now, but the first year of the website, I stuck to about 90% informational only. I would answer every question I could find about this grill and I would make that my content. Now that I'm getting that 30,000 to 50,000 monthly page views, I'm starting to say, well, I can funnel these and interlink into more of a money post or a review post or a best of post. So now I'm adding more best of type content. If you started a new site this month, would you follow the same approach of 90% informational? Would you adjust it earlier? What's your take now that you have some time under your belt? If I was to start it all over again today, I would start with informational, low competition, 50 and below search volume, only because even with this sub niche that I was in of a certain type of grill, when I would search best of related to that grill, whether it's, you know, grills, spatula or tongs or whatever, right? I would still get big sites that write those easy money posts for them because they can rank for them. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to compete with the spruce eats or somebody, you know, somebody who's really killing it right now. So I'm going to write, Hey, how do I turn on this grill? Because nobody seems to, the spruce eats doesn't touch that or whoever might, might it be at that time. Um, so I stick to informational just because I get that easy, low competition traffic in the beginning. 
All right. And monetization. So I imagine, you know, you're probably earning most of your money from display ads, but can you break down where you're earning from? Sure. So I'm getting about on the main side, it makes between 14 and $1,500 a month. And on that site, I'd say about a thousand of that is Ezoic premium. And about 300 of that is Amazon affiliate for accessories for the grill. And then another hundred is a smaller uh, single affiliate program for a, a company that makes a competitor to that grill in the U S and they have their own affiliate program. Okay. And can you talk about the Ezoic premium versus non-premium? Yeah. So I started off with Ezoic and for the first, you know, six months I made nothing. And then I started getting some traction with the grilling website. And once I started making, I don't remember what number it was, maybe around six or $700 a month, I was invited to Ezoic premium. And that gave me the option to opt in to their premium service, which you pay a monthly fee. So let's throw a nominal fee out like a hundred dollars a month you pay, but in return, Ezoic guarantees you'll get back 200 a month or more in premium revenue. And I've found that it's been every, every month it's worth the investment. I mean, I might, so right now my Zoic premium is at the four star plan. It costs me $220 a month, but I'm always getting back around 400 in return. So I pay a little bit into it, but I always make back more on my investment. And this episode is sponsored by Zoic, So this is perfect, <laughs> perfect placement. Um, did you have any hesitation going for the premium knowing that you had to, you know, pay? I know some people, you know, they, they question that a little bit. So can you talk about your decision-making process to take the chance and see how it would go? Yeah. So I actually had a couple hesitancies with Ezoic period, because I kept reading online. If you go with Ezoic, they're going to crash your site. They're going to slow your site. It's going to, it's going to ruin your site. And I thought, well, that's not good, but I was desperate for monetization. And so I thought, well, I'll try it. And not only has it not crashed my site or given me any hard times, I had a small code issue in the very beginning, but that was just tweaking in general with just getting ads on your site. And their support was fantastic and fixed it almost immediately. But on top of that, they've got a lot of free tools that are excellent analytics. They're excellent at speeding your site up. Um, And then when you talk about the premium, sure, there's an investment request on my part, but every single month I get double that. I get a a double return on investment every single month or better. So it's an absolute no brainer for me. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to, well, there's a lot of noise on the internet. There's a lot of idiots like us. Just, we say whatever we want, basically. Um, There's no police out there, but the, the thing is there's a lot of like other people talking about the, you know, other companies that do similar kind of services. But yeah, I've been very happy with Ezoic myself. And, you know, generally I hear, I hear good things, especially like you said, you're like, ah, I'm not sure about the premium, but let's give it a shot. I mean, worst case scenario, you're like, that didn't work. We tested something and then you could do something else. So I would say if people are on the fence, like give it a shot, like it's probably not a big risk to just check it out. So, yeah, I think you're right with the noise on the internet. It almost stopped me from doing things that are now putting me in a position that have changed my life. I mean, if I would have listened to everybody on the internet and every rumor on the internet, I'd still be no website, no money, you know, frustrated at the world. But the reality is when I just went ahead and tried some things and Ezoic turned out to be an excellent option that I think even today, 
some of the rumors on the internet absolutely don't match the performance you're getting from Ezoic. Ezoic has excellent support, excellent customer service, and excellent free tools with your account that really do improve your overall blogging experience. Wow, what a placement. They did a good job this month with us. So, um, <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to that check from them. No, I'm just kidding. So mo- moving forward, let's talk about the, the content specifically, and I'll just kind of leave it open. Do you have any specific approaches to presenting the informational post or the product reviews or, or anything like that, whether it's subheadings or images or tables or whatever? How, how do you treat content? Yeah, so I, like I said earlier, there's the fine line between internet fluff and actual useful content, but still making that word count requirement that will allow me to rank. And so when I approach an informational content piece, there's always a question on the table and whether that be how to tie your shoes. I notice a lot of blogs will say things like, what is a shoelace? And then it's really not useful at all. So I try to make my subheadings relevant to the question that people have rather than just giving them some fluff that fills my word requirement related to their question. So instead of saying, on how to tie your shoes, what is a shoelace, I might approach things from here are the three different most common knots to tie and how to tie them. And here's a little tip on how to keep them tied. And then I usually, with my informational content, will funnel that reader who is trying to solve a problem into more of a money post. And hey, while you're here, have you seen the best, the easiest tieable shoelaces? Check out our guide right here. Perfect. Any other content uh, topics you want to cover before we move on to link building? No, um, I, I think for a new blogger, if you're out there listening and you're not finding any traction with your best of and your and your your reviews for products that you don't own, I would say shift your focus to informational content. There's a there's a big gap there from a lot of larger sites that don't tackle it. Good point. For link building, what, what's your approach with that? Have you dove into link building and outreach and all that stuff? How how do you treat it? So I did in the beginning with the camping site, I was very focused on link building because I kept hearing it was very important. And so I started with Haro and I started writing a lot of articles for other websites and getting backlinks in return. Um, But I found that Haro quickly got muddied from just other bloggers looking for free articles. And it was hard to kind of navigate through and find an opportunity for me as a no-name website to get a good backlink from a good website. And so I tried some lower cost backlinks with like some SEO agencies. Didn't really see any results from those. I did do a podcast for my camping website that I still actually still do. And that gave me some good backlinks just from like having being on Google or FM.com or, or whatever you got the backlinks from. However, I feel like in hindsight, the links that I would need that would be good, authentic links are probably out of my price range at this point. Okay. So what do, what do you do then? Uh, write a lot of content right now. Okay. And, I, and I get some links, but not really many. And I'm in a posi- I've been in a position with backlinks for the last year where I don't really know what to do because I feel like the links that are good and worth my time are going to be expensive and maybe not worth the ROI, but I haven't invested that money to determine if it's actually true. I'm kind of going on my own insecurities with this. Right. It is tough. I mean, things have shifted and, you know, the problem I think with some of the agencies is 
maybe they're not using any kind of network. Maybe they truly did outreach. And the, the problem is they scaled their outreach. So they have, you know, say hundreds of blogs that maybe would fit for what you need links for. But there are thousands of other people that are also buying those same links. So quickly, it, be, it looks like a network, like externally, the way things are linked. And there's all these sort of sponsored kind of shitty posts that, you know, they may not say sponsored, they maybe have do follow links, but generally the links are not helping anything. And it's really hard to tell because, I mean, links are important and y- you can do analysis and see sites ranking better if they have better backlinks. But how are you going to get those if, you know, like you said, you don't have the budget, but let's say you have unlimited budget. I mean, it would still be kind of hard to like land the backlinks that you need. And I've paid a lot for backlinks. I think maybe the most expensive were maybe like, you know, five, six, $700. And shit, I I have no idea if it helped at all. Like it definitely wasn't like the old days where you would get a link and then you would see the rankings increase and you're like, that one worked like that. That's a good site to get a link from. So yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. Now, have you observed from either competition or maybe people that you follow that have adopted a backlinking strategy that seems to work well and you're you're thinking, hey, if I had the resources to do that, I, I would execute in that way? Kind of a wish list on how you would do link building? I don't. And I think if I knew or trusted a source that had a solid backlinking strategy that they could show proof of concept over and over, I would definitely be more inclined to invest in it, even at a higher dollar amount. Um, I feel like at my point with my knowledge level, I'd be really rolling the dice. Hmm. Yeah, it it is tough. And I've started dabbling in the personal finance space with my other podcast. And one thing that I see is it's a tight network. A lot of us have met in person. And and, I mean, I'm, I'm new to the the whole category. So I'm meeting people for the first time, but other, other people have known each other for like a decade. So when they are launching something new or they're putting out a new podcast or something like that, they're able to, you know, share it with their, their friends, their network. They can be on other uh, podcasts or guest posts on other sites. And those sites like work pretty well and because it is such a tight knit community maybe if you guest post on one site, other influencers will see it and then they would potentially even reach out to you to be on their blog or whatever their platform is. So I I feel like you kind of have to be like a genuine member of the community and Mm -hmm. take the time to network and build the relationships. And I see that with Christy, who we've been doing a case study on my channel and podcast for over a year, but basically her progress. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And and the thing is like, she has ridiculous links and she's been doing the very slow outreach where you don't get links quickly, but after, I don't know, several months, all of a sudden you start getting these links that your competitors in no way can replicate. That's awesome to hear. I had tried in the beginning doing a bunch of outreach and it could have been my approach. It could have been a lot of factors, but I would get nothing back. And I thought, well, I'm just a no, a nobody site. These people get these emails all day long they could care less. And that's probably true because now that 
some of my sites are getting traction. I'm getting these random emails all the time, poorly worded and just, just crap emails from VAs who are trying to get a link for somebody. And I get it. You know, I, I understand why they don't reply to the email. Yeah. I, I mark them all as spam now. I mean, the pitches are so bad. If, if, awful. A, if a genuine one comes through, like I, I reply back, but it's so rare. Um, it's so easy to automate the emails and the follow-up emails and all that stuff. So I just, I, I try to mark as much as spam as possible. So You're probably better off. Yeah. Yeah. So with link building anything, maybe like on the internal link building side, how do you approach that? So that was something I didn't start focusing on until about six months, eight months in. I didn't even have it on my radar. I was just focused on getting content out. And I happened to start using, it probably came about through some some affiliate offers online, but I ended up using Link Whisper. And although Link Whisper doesn't really nail it with the way their, their algorithm finds holes. It really gives you some good opportunities to start seeing those on your own. If you kind of take their suggestions and then dig a little deeper, you can find some good interlinking strategies. And interlinking for me has become important. I I noticed that once I sat down, one month I took where I went through all my websites and I did meaningful interlinking strategies. So like really looking for content that complemented other content back and forth. And within probably a month of that, I saw a good jump in my uh, Google search console. And I thought, okay, that's helping Google find more relevant content and rank it. And so interlinking is something that I try to focus on every time I post an article, not wait again down the road and have to go back and fix all the crap. I try to make sure each time I post an article that I have relevant links at that very moment. Okay. And just to be clear, you're, you're linking from that post to the older articles and to that post from Correct. the order article. So both, both directions. Well, yes. But with a caveat that when I started, I kept only posting back and then forgetting, Oh, I need to post things forward. So yeah. Yeah. That, that's typically what happens. Cause it's a lot easier to do the links out from the new article than go touch all the other ones. So in link whisper does make it easier to, to do that. It facilitates it a little bit, a little kind of got faster. me started thinking in the right direction. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, anything else around link building before we move on to the next area? No, I'm interested in your thoughts on link building that you've seen in the past seven, eight years, as far as what worked originally versus what should work or what you think might work now. Well, going back when I first started 2013, it was really spammy stuff. So very very rarely did I even hear anything about like guest posting or like organic type links. It was link pyramids, link wheels with web 2.0 free blog. So it would be like blogger.com or blogspot or I think uh, like, you know, some domain.wordpress.com. So completely made up sites with spun content that was terrible there were also private blog networks, PBNs, where people would get usually expired domains that had high metrics and a lot of backlinks. And they would put some content on usually just the homepage when I first started. And there would just be you know, two or three pieces of content on the whole site. And then they would just link out to money sites, money pages. And it worked so well. I mean, within two or three months, you could rank number one for, you know, five or seven or 10,000 
uh, searches per month. I mean, and that's worth like a lot of money. And nowadays it's like, you're awesome if you can get, you know, number one within six months for a relatively competitive term with like a thousand searches per month. So completely different competition was much less. The downside was you could get penalized quickly by using any of the techniques that I mentioned. And that happened to me about, I think four times. So I like started up, started earning money and then would get penalized. And then after a few times I I realized, okay, I I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to (laughs) just, I'll clean it up and, and do it a different way. So as time went on, I mean the, you know, just generally guest posting, worked okay. And sometimes those were paid guest posts, essentially, you know, kind of, I don't want to say garbage content, but not, not the super high quality. And as time has gone on, Google has gotten better at recognizing these sites that just post guest posts. And slowly over time, like I mentioned before, I'm seeing like sites with a lot of links that actually don't rank that well, because all the links are from relatively low quality sites that tend to link out a lot with these paid guest posts. So I think, you know, looking forward and seeing what has worked recently. So I have a friend who did a massive guest posting campaign in the last 18 months or so in a competitive marketing area. And it was crickets for the, maybe the first six months. And then Google recognized that he was like doing this consistently and then his traffic something like 10x or so and these were i mean these were good high quality articles on good websites that were within the niche so he did all all the right things but it took you know consistent six months of guest posting and i think a a few hundred links i mean he spent a lot of money hiring writers to help do some of the writing and then start doing some of the outreach and then sort of taking over for him. So the thing is, um, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't want to do that specifically because he's in a very competitive niche. So there's hundreds of people behind him waiting, doing the same Mm -hmm. thing he is to take over. So it's kind of like you got to hop on the treadmill and keep going. You can't, take a break. You have to just keep running with it. So when I look at Christie's approach where she like slowly networked and she's in a very small niche, um, maybe similar, uh, you know, to yours that uh, we've been talking about with the grilling, you know, kind of narrow, but there's some room Mm -hmm. to expand. I think that sort of networking will work and it might, you know, might be, taking a few steps back before you get any traction. And then all of a sudden, like all those relationships pay off. And one thing that Christy did was reach out to non-bloggers who had followings. So she would go to influencers on YouTube, Instagram, maybe TikTok, like fill in the blank, like whatever flavor where people are hanging out. And then, you know, build those relationships, not ask for anything for a very long time and just keep a warm communication line. And that has led to introductions with other people where she was able to get links. And sometimes you can get traffic from those other channels, which is valuable just in general. And it's very, you know, focused traffic if people followed 
outside the platform, outside of Instagram, they really wanted to see whatever was shared. So I think that that is probably a, a really good route. Of course, I mean, if you can end up landing press coverage, I think you know those links are really good and that'll open the door for you to get in on other sites. So I know Haro is kind of a, it's a little noisy in there these days, especially, I mean, I had a course on it. A lot of people were talking about it and it got crowded and then it's, yeah. it's a little harder, a little harder to make it work. Like it still can work, but it does of course take time. So it started really strong. I mean, it was a really good opportunity in the beginning and then it word just quickly got out and it, it be, like you said, became noisy pretty fast. And it's hard. I mean, since you were in there and it was working, like, do you see a way to adapt what you were doing to make it effective again, to get through the noise? I don't, but I haven't put a lot of effort into it. I think if you really focused on Haro and maybe found a way to navigate that noise, you could still make it work. Cause I believe there are still really great opportunities on Haro. Um, it's just going to take time to focus on filtering that noise, making, like you said, some good relationships. And I think, the opportunities are there. It would just take some, some effort and some concentration to get there. One thing that I may try coming up soon, it's an idea that I've heard of like in the past and I've heard of people executing on it, but essentially if you went, I'll just make up an example for, for let's say the marketing space. So let's say I went to entrepreneur.com and I was like, Hey, I'm going to put together a, a post on like the best passive income sources, but here's the twist. I'm, I'm going to get input from people like, uh, Pat Flynn, Gary V fill, fill in famous people, right? I, I ran out of famous people. Those, those <laughs> are the only ones I could think of. So if I go pull together these folks and get input from people that'll get clicks, will you publish my guest post or my, my story? And probably they're going to say, yeah, if you can land those people, sure, we'll publish it. And the great thing is even if won't, even if entrepreneur won't publish it, some other outlet will, it could be a guest post on a bigger site, but basically if you do the legwork and you're like, Hey, I could put this together. Will you publish it? A lot of places will. And as I'm doing more types of content, I now see you could publish that somewhere. And then guess what? I can go on podcast and tell the same fucking story like every single time and just share that, share whatever, whatever the guest post was and just hit the bullet points and people would want to talk about it. Yep. You could do it on YouTube also. I mean, the thing is like once you have a good story, like not everybody consumes the same stuff and they would want to interview you and talk about those things. So the plus side, right? So if I, if I did this, I would probably put myself in the mix. So now I'm like on the same level as the people that I interviewed, which isn't true, right? Like all of a sudden I've elevated my, my stature just by organizing it and pulling it together. Mm -hmm. Of course the people may say no. And I just made up some examples, but the thing is there's, there's influencers in every niche. And if you just ask around and say, Hey, I'm probably, I'm trying to interview, you know, th these five people, do you want to be one of them? And they see the other names on there. They may be inclined to say yes, even though you haven't landed those people yet. Absolutely. I, you know, and that's a hundred times better than what I think the average approach is these days where people 
everybody wants to be featured. Everybody wants to tell their story. Everybody wants to get that backlink or that guest post. But the problem is, and I, and I'm guilty of it too, is we're not bringing value to the table, right? So I can go to everybody in this space who has some influence and say, Hey, will you talk to me? And some might, some might need to fill a, a calendar gap and some might be interested in my story. But the reality is we need all of us as bloggers, outreach for guest posts, YouTubers, we have to be pro- coming up with something that really does provide some value. And when you put together that list of entrepreneurship, and then you have those big names that give their input, well, you've added value to that conversation versus just your opinion on the topic. And I think that's kind of a, a, a thing that's easier said than done right now. And that's creating value with your content. And I find myself all the time challenged by that. Like, how do I upload a video that's helpful, but it's truly bringing something to the table and not just filling another 10 minute video or 10 minute, you know, podcast. Good point. Yeah. And we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. So with your portfolio of sites, you're making, you know, good money. It sounds like you've gotten traction fairly quickly, like overall. So how has this impacted your life? Uh, It completely changed my life. And not to say that $2,000 a month changes your life, but it also does. I mean, that sounds silly, but so many jobs in America um, were reliant on three to $5,000 a month and you're working 40 hours a week or more and you got a boss and traffic and all this stuff. And when you can find a way to make $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 on your own, on your own time and your own will, it's a very different grind. All of a sudden, you're motivated by what you're doing. All of a sudden, you're interested in what you're doing. You're not doing it for someone else. You're doing it for yourself. And then you get these little freedoms here and there, like I can go to my kid's school events, or I can take four hours off and go for, you know, go to the gym and go for a drive, whatever. You know, I have some freedom. And that is, I mean, as a guy who worked in a uniform for the government for 20 years, having some freedom and some independence is huge. And I would actually rather make less money per month and have more freedom any day than more money and less freedom. 100%. Now, you know, you could do it also. And I mean, a couple thousand bucks, like you said, is not like the money is not going to change your life, but now, you know, you can do it. And probably you are seeing people that are maybe a couple years ahead of you, a few years ahead, and they're making really good money. And you're like, Oh, well, there's, it's, I can see the path to get there now, but before you were trying to figure out how to make a hundred dollars in a month. Right. I, when I, when I first approached my, my wife with this, I said, all right, babe, I've got this great career and this great 401k. Hey, I want to be a blogger. You know, like, as you can guess, she was a little skeptical. And once I really focused on it, I remember making, it sounds silly, but my first dollar. And I thought it was Google AdSense. And I thought, holy shit, I just made a dollar online. With nothing, right? So like with an article, and if I can make a dollar, I can make 10. If I can make 10, I can make 100. And that's just how my mind worked. And, you know, at that $2,000 a month mark within a year or, you know, a year and a half and watching other people, like you said, a few years outside of me, all it does is just create new ideas and it snowballs into this new mindset from hourly employee to entrepreneur. And it's something that while I may have thought I had the ability, I was never that guy. And all of a sudden I'm making money. And like I said, it's, it's not 
it's not life-changing money, but it's money that lights a fire under you and it gets you moving in the right direction and trying new things and being more willing to take chances and try new things, which is something that most of us in a nine to five are scared to do. When you're asked about giving advice to people that are, maybe they're at, at the beginning, right? They are just about to launch their site or they, they just did. What kind of tips can you give them to, you know, number one, hang in there, but, you know, generally with your approach and the things that you've learned through making some mistakes, like what, what tips would you give them? Um, the first one is to just start, just get moving because myself included, I tried blogging back in 2011. I was big into like UFC and, and that, you know, MMA. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have this cool blog about mixed martial arts. And so I started writing articles. I got published on Bleacher Report. I did a couple things, but I didn't know anything about the technicalities of blogging. I didn't understand waiting to rank. I didn't understand. I didn't understand anything. I was just a, a dude who paid some hosting domain and just wrote content and it didn't go anywhere. And so I got really bummed and just threw it away. God, I wish I would have kept it from 2011, but that's a whole nother, you know, thought. So I would tell somebody, just start, stop thinking about all the things that can go wrong. We know that that's inevitable. And if they all, if they all go wrong, guess what? You'll end up where you started right now. So it doesn't matter. So ignore the fear and the anxiety and the self doubt and just start, pick something that you're interested in. That's not overly competitive and start writing and give yourself an opportunity to succeed. Too many people are self doubting and, we live in a world that tells you all the time from every angle, hey, you're not supposed to step outside of your box, but it's okay. Go ahead and step outside your box, take a chance on yourself, and you'd be surprised how far you can go. Very awesome. Well, one thing that we were talking about before we started recording was the fact that you're you're on the road and you're, you're traveling a bit. Can you tell us about that? I just, I'm interested in all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that was one of the big freedom factors of this whole blogging thing is my wife and I and our kids were big national park geeks. We like camping. We like backcountry. We like, we like going where a lot of people don't like to go. And, um, that's extremely limited when you have a nine to five for a government contractor, right? Like you're barely getting time off as it is. You're lucky to get your two weeks a year because there's demands and contracts and it's just, so it's a, it's a profit driven industry and there's not time for the nine to five or taking weekends off. So when I approached my wife about blogging and making money online, obviously she was hesitant, but she also was very interested in being able to travel. And so it became like, well, let's just take a year and see what happens. Focus your attention on blogging, focus your attention on these things you're doing. And let's see if anything comes of it. If it doesn't, I can always go back to contracting. Those jobs are waiting. And if it does, we've got a new path. And so because she's a traveling healthcare worker, she has the ability to take contracts anywhere in the country as often or as little as she likes. But I was the anchor. I was the one stuck at my home office with my contracting company's equipment. I wasn't allowed to move it. And so I was kind of the anchor stopping us from traveling. And when I was starting to make money with blogging, that obviously piqued both of our interests. We were like, wow, we're actually making a couple grand a month. And on top of her travel pay, we're able to kind of do what we want. And that was a huge door opening for us. Um, so right now we're, we're in Wyoming. We're going to be uh, here for a few months and then we're going to go up to Montana and we're going to hit the national parks up there. We're going to move over to Idaho and check those out. 
we just have mobility and freedom and we have the funding to do it. And it's something I didn't even find in my life till 40 years old versus if you're out there and you're 20 and you're stuck in a job, start, start taking some chances because you can really open some doors for yourself. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a national park geek too. Have you been to, I'll just throw out the, the big four sort of in your, your zone that you're going to be traveling through. So Tetons, Yellowstone and uh glacier. And I was going to, I was going to throw in another one, but no. Yeah. So have you been to those parks before? Yeah. I love Teton. I love Jackson. Those are areas we actually frequent quite a bit. Um, big, big hiking fan and like Jenny Lake and all those areas around Teton are just so good. Um, Yellowstone is great. I like hitting it and I like trying to hit it in the non-peak season, but that's hard as you know, because of the freezes and you know, the, the wildlife kind of frees up once, once it gets to a certain month, but we haven't hit Glacier yet. And that's like literally our first stop as soon as our contract ends here. We can't wait to hit it. Um, but Teton is like probably one of my, my tops right now, along with Death Valley and some other ones. I've heard good things with Death Valley. I, I haven't been out that way yet. Um, but yeah, to your point with Yellowstone and, and the Tetons, yeah, the, my favorite time is the fall, like yep. after things have sort of shut down. And I've been at least a couple times, like the week before they close, you know, say like the Lake Hotel or some of the other big lodging areas. It's just a great time to be there. There are way fewer people because it's, it's like Disney on like in the middle of the summer. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful place to be, even if you're sitting in traffic, but there can be traffic, but in the fall, like we were there a a few months ago, kind of brought the whole family out. So my sisters were there and stuff. And I was just talking to my sisters and it was wonderful because there's no cell phone service in many areas of the park. Most of the park, there's no cell phone service. So we were just able to hang out, have some drinks on the porch and like have a nice time. My, my nieces were not on their phone. No one was on their phone. I mean, we're all guilty, but there was no cell phone. So you, I mean, you couldn't do anything except talk to each other or play cards or whatever. And it was fantastic. I got to do that more. So. Yeah. I love it. We were actually there a couple months ago too. We were there in September um, I mean, at the time it was a little crazy cause they had that missing girl. Um, so things were a little, little wild at that time there, but even there, if you can get there in the fall, specifically maybe October after the crowds have gone back to school and their lives, kind of like you said, Disney, um, it's really ideal fall time in Tetons and Jackson is just awesome. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, we could do a whole show where we're just talking about national parks, but we'll, we'll wrap it here. So you're over at Below Average Blogger, I'll link up so people can get to it. But where else should people find you, Mike? Sure. So I have the Below Average Blogger YouTube channel. Um, it's just a channel where I share kind of my ups and downs. I literally, if I if I screw up, I'll make a video about it. Like I got kicked off Amazon Associates when I was new and I just told why. You know, I, I try to share that information so other new bloggers can can learn from it. And then I also publish more detailed results of my income reports on belowaverageblogger.com. Um, as well as some little helpful things I've thrown together that are hopefully helpful to new bloggers. Um, but that's really it. Just YouTube and belowaverageblogger.com. And uh, I'd love to have anybody who wants to kind of maybe thinking about it, come over and, and hang out. I like to to share the ups and downs and hopefully save them a couple mistakes along the way. Thanks a lot, Mike. I'll put links for everything so people can get to it. And it was great talking to you today. You too, Doug. Thanks so much.
Thanks a lot to Mike. Really appreciate him taking the time. And definitely check out his YouTube channel. Like he said, he actually publishes videos when he makes a mistake. Those are good to learn from, of course. And it kind of paints a picture of reality, a little bit more reality. Sometimes we only see the highlight reel out there. And I personally try to share those uh, times when I make mistakes or things aren't going quite right. And actually, today is a good day to talk about it. Maybe this will be a little bit of a uh, like a therapy session and you'll help me out there. So it's the afternoon. I'm just recording this outro for now. But earlier in the day, things were going pretty good in the morning. And then I hit some technical issues with migrating a tool and some integration and some other things where things can go wrong. And they, they did go wrong. So things started swimmingly this morning. I was like, yeah, I'm getting stuff done, checking things off my list. Next thing I know by 11 o'clock, maybe I had too much caffeine in conjunction with uh, things not working out. And at some point I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to get, I got to get out of the basement. I need to go outside and I worked out a little bit. And then a couple other things went wrong. And you know, I got to make sure I don't spiral out of control. So today is one of those days where, I mean, nothing really bad happened. It's just little little things went wrong and they're just problems to solve. I guess that's life, right? That's just life. So anyway, Mike shares some of those, those mistakes as well. And he has a blog and you should follow his stuff. If you have any specific questions for me, please shoot me an email feedback at doug.show. Or if you have questions for Mike, there's a good chance I'll bring him back on. would love to get an update about what's going on with his sites and just what's going on with them in general. So anyway, if you got any questions for Mike, you can shoot them over to me, feedback at doug.show. And I can put them on the log for the next time I chat with him. Before I leave, I do want to plug my other podcast, Mile High Fi. We talk about personal finance and financial independence. I have a co-host. His name's Carl Jensen. He retired at age 43 and he's been retired for almost five years, coming up on five years now. So the show's going great. The YouTube channel is doing really well. And it's been interesting you know, to launch a new brand, basically to launch a new podcast and a new YouTube channel after I've had a few years of experience. So there's things that I know I should should be doing, things that I'm better at now, some things that I'm, well, not even aware that I'm messing up on, but we're doing our best and you know we're getting a decent number of views and some nice growth. And I'm hoping maybe, maybe on this new channel, on this new podcast, we'll hit some sort of inflection point where clearly things started growing after some time or some something that happened. I haven't had that happen before, but that would be cool if all of a sudden it popped. Maybe with my years of experience doing this stuff and Carl blogging for about eight years in the financial independence space, maybe we can we can hit something interesting here. But anyway, really fun show. It's like hanging out with Carl and I in the basement here, we are likely to go on tangents, even with guests. It's pretty funny because guests are not used to that. Typically, 
they're a little more serious and the podcast interviews are a little more serious, but we like to cut up and have a good time. So anyway, you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts or watch YouTube out there. Have a great day. We'll catch you on the next episode.